You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good morning and welcome. My name is Lise Grande, and I'm the head of the United States Institute of Peace, which was established by the U.S. Congress in 1984 as a nonpartisan public national institution dedicated to helping prevent, mitigate, and resolve violent conflict abroad. We're very pleased to have this opportunity this morning to focus on the role of democratic institutions and democratic action in Ukraine and to help ensure that that democratic action and those institutions secure stable governance when the war is terminated. And we're also here to discuss how the international community can support Ukraine in these efforts. It's an honor to co-host this special event with the International Foundation for Electoral Systems and to welcome Tony Banbury, the president of IFAS, and a colleague from the days that we shared together in the United Nations. We are also very pleased that Ambassadors Bill Taylor and Masha Yovanovitch, the First Secretary at Ukraine's Embassy in Washington, Katerina Smagli, and the IFAS Global Principal Advisor and Senior Country Director in Ukraine, Peter Urban, are here with us for the panel discussion. It's been incredible and deeply inspirational to witness the Ukrainian people's commitment to democracy and international democratic norms in the face of Russia's unprovoked war of aggression. Many of us understand that democracy and the democratic values that shape international peace, security, and prosperity, including territorial sovereignty and the right of people to choose their own leaders through transparent, free, and fair elections are on the line in this war. President Zelensky said it best in his speech before the U.S. Congress last December when he declared that this war will define whether it will be a democracy for Ukrainians and for Americans. You may recall he then paused, and then he said a democracy for all. What we hope to do today is to talk about the role of the international community and everyone who supports Ukraine in assisting Ukraine to strengthen its democracy and to help rebuild its institution when the war is terminated. Tony, with your permission, may we invite you to the floor for your remarks. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much, Lise. It's nice to see you, and congratulations on your assumption as president of this august institution. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, good morning again, everyone. I want to say uh, how pleased I am to be here addressing uh, an issue uh, that is at the very top of the world's agenda, not only because we care so deeply about Ukraine and the Ukrainian struggle, but because we all care so deeply about freedom and democracy. It's a pleasure to be here with 
Katyana Smugly from the Ukrainian embassy, uh, but also very much sharing this event with Ambassador Bill Taylor and Masha Yovanovitch. I had the pleasure of meeting both of them uh, in Ukraine around the time of the 2019 elections. And if you were to ask to uh, write a description of a paragon of civil service, you could do no better than trying to describe what uh, Bill and Masha have done for the United States and the causes we all care about. Uh, in, in the toughest of circumstances, um, Ukrainians have shown us uh, their commitment to live in a free and democratic society. And it's precisely this commitment that has given them the fortitude to persevere in the face of such awful challenges. Uh, President Zelensky said uh, just today in London that um, freedom will win and Russia will lose. And, and I believe uh, that absolutely is going to be the case. In the meantime, uh, there needs to be a lot of support for the people of Ukraine uh, with military equipment and there uh, there needs to be a military victory um, and that's of primary importance now but the greatest strength that Ukrainians have will not be any weapons that allies of theirs send to them but rather their commitment to freedom to live in a free and democratic society and even while this victory is being pursued uh, the strength of their democratic institutions need to be nurtured. And I'd like to just mention a few really important issues to keep uh, our eye on and support Ukrainians on as they pursue their military victory. Post-war elections, perhaps Peter will talk about this later, uh, we have to ensure that uh, following victory, elections will be free, fair, inclusive, and accessible to all. Um, there will be lots of complications around that, and Ukrainians will need to work through them with our support. Uh, the role of civil society, it has played such an important role during the conflict and a uh, voice of civil society will need to be uh, nurtured, supported and allowed to flourish in a post-war Ukraine. Uh, part of that civil society, youth, the role of youth, uh, they have played such an important role in the struggle, in the war, on the battlefield. They need to be supported in a post-war Ukraine. And let me just emphasize for a second that point on youth. They uh, need to be empowered and inspired. Investment in young people, I think we all know from work we've done around the world, uh, is critical to the future of any society. To prevent a society from going backwards, the young of a country need to be supported. And since Ukraine's independence, we've all been inspired, I think, by young people uh, across Ukrainian society uh, who have demonstrated their commitment to freedom, democracy, in the face of such difficult circumstances. Um, IFIS has uh, prioritized the work with youth uh, during our, our um, well, we've been in Ukraine for many years, and Peter will talk about this uh, perhaps, but one of the things that I'm very proud of is our work across um, more than 46 universities in Ukraine supporting the future leaders of that country. We've supported a group of graduates who have formed an alumni association and a civil society organization uh, to increase young people's awareness and resilience to external circumstances. They, they just gathered as a group in a, a basement to watch a documentary 
about uh, Ukrainian rock and roll and how it uh, helped undermine support for the former Soviet Union in Ukraine. So uh, things like that are certainly inspiring to me and are a harbinger of what the youth of Ukraine represent for the, the future. Uh, another alumni of that uh, civic education program in these universities is now uh, an intern with the National Anti-Corruption and Prevention Agency. And obviously we all know how important anti-corruption is, uh, the, the work um, in, in Ukraine. And just a few months ago in Kherson, a group of students um, from this civic education program were helping older adults and people with disabilities get medicine under occupation as part of their civic education program project for the courses they were studying. So Ukraine is filled with stories like this uh, that are so inspiring. We'll hear perhaps some of them now from our other speakers. Uh, it is really a great honor for uh, IFAS to be here at USIP and participating in this event. Uh, it's even more of an honor to be side by side supporting the people of Ukraine in their uh, fight for democracy that we all know will be inevitably a victorious one. So, Slava Ukraini, thank you very much, and um, over to you. Soon we will be joined by a third panelist. Uh, we can already see Masha Ivanovich right here, but you will see her shortly, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm assured that there she is, Masha. So, uh, Lise, thank you. Tony, thank you very much for the uh, introductions. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here with you and with uh, Ambassador Ivanovich on the screen. Uh, this is an important discussion. This is a really important discussion. Um, and we've got great people to do this. Uh, so Katja Smogli, uh, First Secretary at the Embassy, representing Ambassador Makarova, who couldn't be here today. Katja is more than adequate uh, to, to be able to tell this story. Ambassador Makarova, we probably all saw last night. Um, President Biden recognized her at the State of the Union. There was an unusual, bipartisan, overwhelming standing ovation for Ambassador Makarova. Uh, demonstrates the bipartisan support that Ukraine has for this war. Um, so um, Katya, Katya and I worked together in Kiev uh, earlier on. She's now uh, a leading official at the, at the embassy right over here on M Street. So it's great to have you, Katya. Peter Urban. A legend. So Tony didn't quite go into the, the, the level and the depth and the extent of Peter's, of Peter's work. I, we all have, many of us have seen uh, Peter's work in Afghanistan, in Iraq. Name the, the difficult elections around the world and he's either organized, overseen, he's actually run a couple of elections for nations. Nations have gotten Peter Urban to actually run their elections because he knows how to do this, and he does it well. Um, he is the head of the IFAS uh, office and overall program uh, in the region and lives in Kiev. Um, lives in Kiev. His family will come back when the time is right. Um, so we're, we're honored, Peter, to, to have you here. Thank you, Ambassador. The reason I say this is so important, and we'll get to the, our, our conversation, um, uh, is that exactly as Tony said, Ukraine needs to win this war. Um, in order to get to the democratic issues that we're gonna be talking about, in order to get to the elections, in order to get to the civil society that Masha will, will talk about, um, Ukraine has to win. And in order to win, uh, there needs to be unity. 
There needs to be unity within Ukraine, and I'm going to cut to ask you about this because this is going to be a challenge. Uh, um, and that unity will then lead to what Tony also said, and that is the outside support. Um, if Ukraine can maintain its unity, which it is, I mean, it's 90, what, 8 percent, 95, 98 percent united um, behind President Zelensky against the Russian invasion uh, for the government, uh, that's unified. That's unified. And the question is, can that, can that be maintained? Unity among us, about, among the sponsors, the allies um, of, of Ukraine so that they can win. That's going to be important in order to get to this, um, in order to get to this point. So, um, Katya, let me start with you. Um, as, as I say, unity is important. The challenges of unity during wartime, um, in particular for the challenges for democratic practices, you know, all nations, when they're at war, have to do things to maintain security. Um, there have to be limits um, on some of the things that we normally look to for democracy. You know, wide open press. Well, there's, there's a focus of, of press. Elections are going to be a challenge, and Peter's going to talk about this as well. Um, human rights is still important, as it always is. How has your government... Uh, been able to thread this needle, to find this balance between respect for democratic practices and the, the, the necessary things they have to do during the war. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Ambassador. Thank you very much for your very kind words and your uh, kind introduction. It is a true honor for me to be here in this audience and speaking with two people, two ambassadors whom I consider my professional mentors. Ambassador Taylor said that I used to work under his leadership in Kiev, but my first boss actually was uh, Ambassador Masha Yovanovitch, who at the time was Deputy Chief of Mission, working with Ambassador Carlos Pascual. That's the year when I joined the embassy in 2013. There you go. <laughs> um, very good question, very important question. And um, uh, the last 350 days since the time Putin started this unprovoked aggression against Ukraine has truly been a crash test for Ukraine. And I think that we successfully uh, and very ably passed this uh, crash test, both at the local levels and at the national level. I'm afraid that many people in the West and of course in Russia uh, has preconceived notions that Ukraine is a weak, corrupt, state with very weak government that will fall and that will not be able to uh, protect the resilience uh, of its uh, governmental institutions, but all of those preconceived notions uh, prove to be uh, false. Although in his uh, pseudo-historical essay, President um, Putin wrote uh, that Ukraine is not a real country and Ukrainians are not really uh, a nation, Ukrainians have demonstrated that in, in fact we are a very real country and we are very real people. And uh, in retrospect, I mean, you, you ask about unity and how we survive and what ensures progress. I mean, if you really study Ukrainian history, you will understand that through centuries we have had so many crash tests that uh, this most recent crash test is not really such a significant challenge that we have to overcome. Think about all the losses that Ukraine has uh, had during the Second World War. It was really the bloodlands, as historian uh, Timothy Snyder has, has said. Think about the Holodomor, when millions of people died as a result of Stalin's uh, horrific policies. Think about all the dissidents who, di who died in the Gulag, just defending 
uh, what they believed in, they, what the, the freedom that they tried uh, to achieve for Ukraine. Um, so Ukrainians have been survivors for many years, and I think the memory about our historical past and all the sacrifices that our nation has already been uh, uh, carrying uh, gives us a lot of encouragement and ensures that we will stay on the right course. Um, our unity uh, depends on four uh, key factors. And of course, the key factor, in my opinion, is leadership of President Zelensky, who has demonstrated incredible courage and has inspired not only the entire world, but primarily he inspired uh, Ukrainians. Our unity is 100% depends on the strengths and um, ability of our very capable armed forces and our army generals. And we believe that thanks to their efforts, thanks to their sacrifice and selfless service, Ukrainians will win this war. But by the end of the day, as we all know, wars are won not because of the leadership of one man or uh, very able generals. Wars are won because millions of people are ready to sacrifice their lives and stand in defense of their country. And that again, what Ukrainians demonstrate right now. So we are united because of our very strong civil society, because of our volunteers, because of our home front, who is doing all the necessary work to support um, this, um, this war effort. And finally, the fourth factor is, of course, the unity of the West and the leadership of the Biden administration that helps Ukraine uh, militarily, financially, human, in, providing humanitarian assistance. And we're very thankful to President Biden, who during his State of the Nation address yesterday, again, uh, looking at our ambassador, once again underscored that America is united in our support for your country, and we will stand with you as long as it takes. So as President Zelensky, I believe, himself said, the biggest reform that Ukraine has achieved <clears throat> in the last 350 years is the reform of the European Union in itself, in its understanding that it has to be united and it has once again answered the questions, the fundamental questions which President Biden asked yesterday. Would we stand for the most basic principles? Would we stand for sovereignty? Would we stand for the right of people to live free from tyranny? Would we stand for the defense of democracy? One year later, we know the answer. Yes, we would, and we did. We did, he underscored. Um, and of course, uh, the fifth factor is our desire to become a truly European country. Um, as you remember, Ukrainians have tried and demonstrated their focus on um, achieving EU membership for so many uh, times since they declared independence in uh, 1991. Remember the Orange Revolution, huge aspirations, democratic reforms, some setbacks, but then again the Revolution of Dignity of 2013-2014, three months uh, during winter times, people standing on the streets defending democracy. Again, huge aspiration, another war, another effort on behalf of the civil society to protect our democracy. And then now this kind of full-fledged invasion. And again, you, the country is united in defense of the dreams and values that we try to defend. So the argument and the point that I want to make that democracy truly doesn't uh, come overnight, that you maybe some, sometimes have to do several revolutions, you know, and through, uh, 
there is consistent effort with some challenges, with some problems, but you know, it's like a water drop that makes a steady fall and sooner or later it will break the stone and will achieve the result that this country aspires. And finally, I believe the very important element that keeps us all together is um, the perspective of EU membership that finally become real. I believe it was a remarkable sign of bravery and courage and even chutzpah, as they, they would say, for President Zelensky to officially, only four days after Putin started his full-fledged war against Ukraine, to submit the uh, application for EU membership. Very bold state, a very bold step, but very symbolic step, which demonstrated to everyone in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine that Ukraine will not change its course. Nothing will make us uh, uh, change the path, the dreams that we have chosen for ourselves. And with all the reforms that Ukraine is now doing, uh, of course, it's a very challenging act to fight the war and to do uh, some reforms internally. Uh, Ukrainians are steadily uh, working on all the reforms that are necessary for us to um, achieve uh, European uh, EU membership. Interestingly, I just look at some opinion polls. Uh, you probably know the name uh, New Europe Think Tank. It's a very prominent analytical center that studies attitudes, public attitudes towards uh, European integration within Ukraine. And the recent polls has demonstrated that 73% of Ukrainians fully support conditionalities that have been imposed on Ukraine for, uh, to achieve this membership. And all Ukrainians understand that there is certain homework that should be done by the society and by the government to um, fully meet all the criteria that has been uh, presented. Uh, I am very positive about the future of Ukraine. I, I know that we will become prosperous fully democratic, successful European country. And uh, we see that even despite the war, Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, is a must destination for many European and American politicians. It's a must visit place, and uh, it's truly a very vibrant and happy place to be. And I hope that all of you will be in Kyiv, if not soon, but after we win, for sure. Thank you. Katya, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, you've mentioned a couple things that we're going to come back to. Mm -hmm. um, um, Ambassador Yovanovitch, I'm going to ask you the next question. Um, and everyone in this room and everybody online knows Masha Yovanovitch. Um, what you may not know is she's now a senior advisor for us here at the Institute of Peace. And we, are, could, we could not be prouder to, to have some of Masha's time. We share her uh, with the Carnegie Endowment and Georgetown University, um, but she's been a great advisor for us, a great addition uh, to this team. So, uh, so Masha, uh, again, welcome. Let me ask you about a couple of the things that both Katya and Tony said um, about civil society. I mean, we've talked about the government. Um, we've talked about the military, how important it is for the military to proceed, win, success um, uh, on the battlefield. Civil society is, a, is, in particular in Ukraine, as you know better than anyone, uh, has been a force for good, for democracy, for freedom. Um, what's the role now in, this, in the wartime situation, Masha? Yeah, well, thank you for uh, welcoming me so warmly, Bill. It's, it's great to, to be participating in this conversation with you, with Peter, and especially um, with my dear friend Katya. 
Um, it's, it's, it's just wonderful to be here. Um, and I want to note just straight out um, that, as you are so fond of saying, winning the war is the most important thing for Ukraine. Um, but there's also a very important corollary, which is that winning the peace is also essential. And I think that um, Ukraine needs to lay the groundwork now. Katya started talking about some of that. It's not too soon. Um, in fact, you know, FDR, um, when he was uh, thinking about what would happen after World War II, he started thinking about that two years, um, two years uh, before the war was ended. And I think that um, for Ukraine, um, as perhaps in the U.S. in 1945 um, and, um, you know, parts of Europe uh, in 1945, civil society was the key and it will be the key in Ukraine. Um, you know, we may not hear as much about civil society as you pointed out, as we hear about the government, certainly, you know, the, the overwhelming presence and force and inspiration of President Zelensky and the brave um, and competent uh, fighting force of Ukraine. But civil society is right in there as well. And when I was in Ukraine in September with, with you and with others, I was really struck by how this is a completely mobilized society. I mean, when we think of civil society, we often think of, you know, formal NGOs and everything else. But, you know, what I saw was, you know, just people and, you know, we see this in the news as well. People who see a task that needs to be done and take it up and they organize a food kitchen. They organize, um, you know, a training on uh, first aid care. They do whatever needs to be done. It doesn't have to come from the mayor to say you need to do X, Y and Z. People see something and they take the responsibility on themselves. And, um, and they do the work. And that has been um, Ukraine's strength all along. Katya, you know, talked about that uh, in her remarks um, over, you know, the, the, the span of um, Ukraine's um, independent history since 1991. And um, it's been the strength and the sucre, and it will continue to be. Um, I think it will be absolutely pivotal because there is, I think, a, um, you know, the Ukrainian people and Ukrainian civil society has always wanted to um, realize its uh, Western aspirations. I mean, we could see that in two revolutions and multiple revol multiple um, elections and and in two wars, uh, basically. Uh, and um, now um, they are fighting for that in a way that is um, more critical, more existential than ever before. And so you know, Ukraine, the Ukrainian people are not fighting to recreate the Ukraine of the early 1990s. They are fighting for um, to create a country where there is the rule of law, where government um, meets the needs of the people, where it's not, you know, the people are there for the government. It's the other way around. The government is there for the people that I mean, Peter was going to talk, um, I'm sure, about elections uh, in Ukraine um, and um, the ability of any democracy, and Ukraine has demonstrated this, where you can vote um, uh, for your candidate if you think somebody else can do somebody can do a, a, a good job, and you can vote them out if you think that they they can't do a good job. All of this is um, part of, I think, the mobilization of civil society, um, and um, I think that civil society is very active right now, and it will continue to be active in the post-war period. But to come back to, um, you know, kind of the essential point about, you know, winning the war, it's also important to win the peace. And we need to lay the groundwork now. Ukrainian civil society working with the Ukrainian government is doing that. And it is a hard slog. I mean, there's no magic bullet, unfortunately. It's just a hard slog. 
um, but they are doing the work and um, hopefully they will continue to do the work because it is absolutely essential for uh, Ukraine's future. This is the social new social compact that um, Ukraine is a Western, um, a Western country um, uh, that lives by Western values. And, um, you know, I think we in the West will continue to, to, to support that as the Ukrainian people will as well. Masha, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and again, anybody in this room or online uh, who wants to hear more of what Masha has been doing and saying, she's got a book. She's got a book, uh, Lessons from the Edge. Um, I recommend, we were just talking about this before, before you were on, Masha, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great education for us all. So thank you for that. Thank you for those comments. We're, again, we're going to come back to those as well. Um, but first, Peter. Um, Elections. You've already been introduced a couple of times as, as probably saying something about elections, um, and I suspect you will. Uh, and, and Katya mentioned, Tony mentioned as well, that Ukraine is on track, is now on a membership track for the European Union. Um, and on, uh, Katya mentioned that uh, the President Zelensky, bold step asking for that, and the EU responded in June um, and put um, Ukraine and Moldova um, on this track. Um, and they listed a bunch of things, seven things in particular, that Ukraine has to do um, in order to move forward on that membership track. And they are what you would expect. They are governance and they're uh, anti-corruption, uh, they're uh, anti-oligarch, there's anti-money laundering. There are a lot of things that the Ukrainian RADA and administration um, has to put in place in order to achieve this, uh, this membership. Um, what about elections? I mean, Masha talked about elections. Um, I've seen you do elections in really hard places. Um, um, and there are going to be elections uh, sometime soon. Um, in how does that all fit, uh, Peter? What's, what's, how, how does the election piece fit into EU membership um, and into uh, prosecuting this war? First and foremost, let me thank you for this opportunity. I'm deeply grateful to USIP, to you, Bill, to my fellow speakers, that uh, we have a chance to come here in this beautiful place and talk about something that is really important to IFES. I'm fortunate to be in Kiev. This is where I live. And as you said, my family will soon return too after victory. And IFES in Kiev plays a pivotal role in coordinating all issues of how we deal with democracy in general and elections in particular. And we were indeed deeply involved in discussions around what should be these priorities that would be mentioned in relation to the ascension to the EU. I think it's really important to understand that elections and democracy are integrated into these seven points already. Judicial, media, anti-corruption reform are pivotal in order to further improving the elections and democratic governance in Ukraine. They are not different then. It's an incredibly important part of it. But we also have to recognize, if we look across all reforms, that Ukraine has actually done very well on electoral reform since 2014. Elections have gotten better year by year. International observers have shown that, documented it in their continuous reports. And together with, for example, decentralization, elections offer a fantastic opportunity, again, for Ukraine to show the rest of the world what can be done in terms of strengthening democracy. 
This is yet another thing that I think Ukraine can be proud of. But it's not the end. There's lots still to be done. Elections will be absolutely pivotal to winning the war, winning the peace, sorry. There'll be a torrent of elections when peace comes. The Constitution is crystal clear on this. And in the years after victory, we will see elections to the presidency, to parliament, and very important to local councils and mayorships all over Ukraine. Immensely important, especially with the decentralization reform in mind. These elections carry great potential, but they also carry risk of disrupting essential focus on good governance and rebuilding. So while elections must take place, they're not necessarily a great way in which to get politicians to do their job. And therefore, every effort must be sure that um, we get the best possible electoral processes and, in fact, trusted outcomes, politicians that can govern effectively. This will <coughs> in itself be an insurance against the damage that elections can do and do all over the world if they are not uh, well conducted. We do have a lot of tasks that must be done now. So while I entirely agree with that we must first and foremost work towards victory and everything that entails, there's a lot of groundwork that can be done and I'm really happy that Masha mentioned that great victories have involved prep work before victory came and that you recognize this is something that is a challenge and must be met already now. In order for there to be elections for new trusted government to be established in Ukraine, we still need to finish the electoral code, the entire legal framework that governs elections in general. We had a number of things that still needed to be done when the war broke out, but the war has added significant challenges to this. There are many, but most prominently, millions of Ukrainians are now displaced by this war inside Ukraine as internally displaced persons, and abroad, some as refugees, some taking shelter in other countries. And the Ukrainian uh, tradition for elections does not really cater for millions coming to an embassy on election day and voting. New methods must be developed, be they postal voting or distributed in-person voting with polling stations all over Europe for Ukrainians to go to and let their will be heard. There are also other things that need to be achieved and that we can work on right now. Uh, the ruling elites, when they came into power, recognized that political parties still have a long way in go to go in terms of institutionalizing themselves and have long recognized that Ukraine needs a modern political party legal framework and that this would be an immense improvement on democracy forward for Ukraine. This law is already drafted and is largely agreed upon. It's even been reviewed by the Venice Commission and adjusted accordingly. It's another example of something that we can work on right now. A strong electoral democracy is exactly what the soldiers are fighting for. They're fighting for freedom, but they're also fighting for the right to elect their leaders. And it's pivotal that these elections, the democratic processes, will offer an even better society for Ukrainians. And I should here say that my wife is Ukrainian and my children are Danish-Ukrainian, so mm -hmm. I see their future also in Ukraine, and I also want them to be at home there in the best possible democracy that, we can, that Ukraine can offer for them. 
the ascension to EU is indeed pivotal. I do think for economic prosperity and many other reasons it must happen. And it is also true that there's a lot still to be done. But I think Ukraine's opportunity goes beyond that. I actually do think that Ukraine has the potential to be a role model, to be a beacon for democracies throughout the neighborhood of which there are several nations that we would still want to inspire to become democracies. Ukraine has that potential to be that shining beacon. And actually, if we look at the rest of the world, it also needs a little bit of inspiration. And maybe this can also come out of this war. Ukraine showing the way for some of the nations that are backsliding now. And we can get back on a positive trajectory when it comes to strengthening democracy worldwide. Peter, thank you. Um, Ukraine has inspired this country, as you observe and as, as we, can, we can all see. Um, it has inspired the world, including here. Let me just follow up on a question on elections. Um, and Katya and Masha, you will have thoughts on this as well. But let me start with, with Peter. So you've conducted elections in war zones, um, in countries that are in conflict. Um, Ukraine has had elections uh, in conflict. Uh, Ukraine in 2019 had, uh, had both presidential and, uh, and parliamentary elections um, in the middle of conflict before this latest invasion, but during the, the uh, uh, war um, with Russia. And we talked about unity, um, and we talked about how important unity is. Um, it, it must be difficult to, for opposition parties to make, to, to, to operate, to, to oppose um, in, uh, uh, in a war scenario, um, both in wartime, and we hope that this war will be ended this year, before next year's elections. Um, we hope, uh, and it can happen. We can talk about that. I'd love to talk about that. Um, but um, if it doesn't, there's, there's elections during war. Opposition has to both support the, the war and the, and the prosecution of that war, um, but they also you know, are running for, for office. As Masha said, um, you know, Ukrainians, as well as other people going to the polls, can decide if, they're doing, if they're, the current leaders are doing a good job. And if not, they, they vote for someone else. This is tricky. Um, so both during the war and then, as you just said, after the victory, um, presumably some of these constraints that are imposed right now for obvious reasons for a country at war could be, should be, will be lifted um, uh, to be able to go back to full opposition, full press freedom. Uh, all of these things. Talk a little bit about your experiences, both in general, but in particular as you see what the challenges for Ukrainian opposition, civil society, and government might be. Now, I think it's very important first to recognize that Ukraine is dramatically different than many of the other development contexts that we have worked in, in that it does have a functioning central state, and many of the functions of society are working well, including the ability to hold elections. In fact, I believe that Ukraine has one of the better, if not best, election commissions uh, in the neighborhood and so even in Europe. You've so had something to do with that. Congrats, you have something to do with that. Well, we would like to think that we made a small country. You made an enormous contribution. But also, so Ukraine is well equipped to hold elections and I have great confidence that Ukraine on its own with its formidable election commission will be able 
uh, to hold election even under very difficult uh, circumstances. It doesn't change the fact, though, that the challenge now is very different than it was in, say, 15, 2015, because the war is uh, much more all-encompassing. And it is absolutely true that to win a war as it is now, a certain level of centralization of power of communication is absolutely necessary. So don't think anyone on the democracy side are blaming the current political elites for making sure that they can lead as well as they can. We all know that from wars gone by, that this is important. I am convinced that there is a strong will to return to democratic practices once the war is won. I think that the, the current elites, the president, is committed to uh, that Ukraine will be the best democracy it can be, and therefore, of course, power will be, have to be handed back. At the local level, we have to see civil military administrations handed back to elected councils, and all the way up uh, to the president, who will submit himself to an election relatively shortly after victory. I'm convinced it will happen, but it is true. It is absolutely pivotal for Ukraine to deliver uh, to its people to honor the sacrifice by the people and especially by the soldiers because they fought for exactly these principles. That's not going to be easy. It's always difficult to make that transition. And I think we, uh, Ukraine's international friends, must be there to assist the best we can. But I'm definitely convinced that Ukraine as such will be able to hold these elections and that even during wartime we will be able to take some of the small steps towards having the best possible environment for the reinstatement of full democracy. I'm also sure that the opposition as it currently exists and what I think will be new opposition after this war as it will emerge will remind uh, the powers now that they would want to have the opportunity to use the media, to campaign, to say their opinion, uh, to compete. And I have every reason to believe that just like Ukrainians have come out several times fighting for that principle in, a, in revolutions, the entire Ukrainian community will come together and acknowledge <laughs> that everyone should have a say, everyone should have the right to run for office, and everyone should have the right to vote. Peter, thank you. Masha, I'm going to ask you in, a, in one second uh, if you've got thoughts on this very question. But Katya, um, so this is the responsibility of this government. Um, as Peter said, there have been some perfectly understandable, legitimate, even mandatory centralizations um, of authorities, powers. Um, um, and there will be an expectation that after the victory that, those, that the decentralization will happen. Again, as, as Peter just said, thoughts from, from your government on, on this question? Well, I believe that this is an extremely important issue. And since we find ourselves at the U.S. Institute for Peace, which has a such a strong record, I mean, 30 years of history, right, since you've been established, and you've seen so many societies which lived through wars, and you know the problems that they face after the war is over. And the issues that we talk about right now, they're at the core uh, of, of these issues because it's truly challenging to transform your country from this war effort, you know, and all the rhetoric and all the passion that the army uh, demonstrates right now to bring the country uh, back, to return our sovereignty back, and to come to normal, peace, peaceful life. So truly, it will be extremely important for the government to return the authority back at the local level. 
But let me add two more important, I believe, issues uh, in addition to what Peter has mentioned. Uh, you remember that one of the key problems that Ukraine has fi faced through years was the role of the oligarchs and the strong um, role that they played also in the electoral process, buying not only politicians, buying ministers and government, uh, funding the whole parties, uh, also taking money from a neighbor state to support the parties which were not kind of playing in Ukraine's national interest, but in the interest of the states which funded uh, those uh, countries and uh, uh, who funded those parties. And I believe that this war is a wonderful opportunity for the president, and he already demonstrated, to fight uh, with the oligarchs. And the deoligarchization law, which he approved and uh, the Rada adopted shortly before the war, which was a little bit uh, controversial, mm -hmm. I may say, because there was a lot of criticism that this may be kind of selective uh, justice, you know, you will go after one oligarchs and leave others behind. Right now we see that um, this wall really helped the government to clean up the stages, so to say. Um, and we also cleaned up the parties which were not true political forces in the true sense of the word, but we are just uh, uh, very uh, unconstructive uh, forces that played not in the interest of this country. So to a certain extent, this war will also help us clean uh, and do the homework that is necessary to ensure that we will come to peace in a normal way. And once again, let me repeat that Ukraine has a proven record of success when it comes to elections. Uh, we have, all our elections have been free and democratic and there had been no major criticism with regard to how elections have been uh, conducted. And even in the- All but one, and that was yes. redone. And that was, that was redone. redone. That was fixed. So Ukrainians have proven that they can defend the democratic choice and that they will continue doing so. Absolutely. Even if, hypothetically, in the future, there will be some risk to protecting our democracy. I'm confident that having made so many sacrifices already you know, to protect Ukraine as an independent state, to ensure our sovereignty, Ukrainians themselves will never let corrupt politicians to steal their country from them. So, yeah. so they will continue working uh, at all levels and the local level will be uh, extremely important in this regard. Thank you, Katya. Masha, um, I'm going to ask you the same question, uh, uh, but if there are questions in the room um, or online, I think there is a way for you, yes, I think there is a way for uh, Kirtika um, to harvest some of those questions, If and I'm, I'm sure we will have time for this. But Masha, on this question of kind of the centralization during wartime, Questions about uh, democratic processes, the, the dilemmas of opposition parties. Um, um, what's your sense about how this evolves over d during the war and, and then after the victory? Yeah, so this is a really important question. It's an important question for Ukraine's uh, future. Um, and, you know, I come back to that old Washington saying, never waste a good crisis. So obviously, Ukraine is in the, an existential crisis right now. And it is about, um, you know, the war against Russia and geographical and other issues. Um, but it's also about the war for Ukraine's future. What kind of a country is Ukraine going to be after the war? And um, as I've said before, as we've all said, um, you know, I don't think that, you know, the war ends, there's victory and you snap your fingers and all of a sudden you go into peacetime mode. There is, I think, a continuum, um, you know, during the war and then, you know, the transition to peace 
And I think, uh, as I said before, uh, Ukraine needs to start now. And, you know, Katya has laid out how um, the Zelensky government is, um, is, is, is starting, you know, some, some of the features of, of that process, like going after the oligarchs and so forth. Um, Peter has uh, laid out other issues like political pluralism, uh, the importance of that um, to, to, to a democracy. Getting the balance right, not only in the future, uh, but uh, right now, so that there is, you know, you're laying the groundwork for that really, um, you know, uh, that, that democratic piece. And, and, and I want to note that all democracies are struggling democracies, including our own. You know, democracy, if you can keep it that very, very, uh, or republic, if you can keep it, um, that, um, you know, kind of seminal quotation uh, from our uh, our early days. I mean, that's true for all countries. We always have to kind of struggle and figure out the best way forward and balance um, between the important issues of security and the um, equally important issues of freedom is really, really important. But here's the thing to remember. Democracy is what the people of Ukraine want, and they've struggled for it for years, and now they are laying down their lives for it. And it's part of the reason, not the only reason, but it's part of the reason that there is such robust international support for, uh, for Ukraine. And so um, I think it's important to, um, to start working on the promise of that future now um, and, and not wait uh, for the war to be over and hope that, you know, magically um, a switch will be, uh, will be turned because democracy is hard work. You know, freedom is not free, as they say. Thank you, Masha. Thank you. So questions from the room or from Kirtika, um, from, from online. So uh, Kirtika, do you have any? Who, ah, Elizabeth. Ah, are you coming? Is there a question here? Oh, good. Yes, yes, good. Excellent. Thank you, Elizabeth. So hi, I'm, uh, yep. I'm Eric Boyle. Uh, we're all inspired, of course, by the Ukrainians' resilience, and we're all united in our support for Ukraine. I'm just curious, Ukraine has also dealt with a torrent of uh, misinformation and disinformation, especially around uh, dem democratic issues, both before and also during the war. Are there any lessons for combating misinformation and mi disinformation that will be important in terms of thinking about Ukraine after the war? Thank you. You know, it's a, it's a good question. Um, Katya, Peter, you both have thought a lot about uh, the, the propaganda war, the misinformation, uh, both leading up to and even now. Thoughts on, on Katya first, you and then Peter? No, thank you very much for the question. Actually, I was the one who started the role of propaganda uh, in depth and published a, a paper yes. many years ago titled Hybrid Analytica um, in, the, in Europe mostly and in the United States. Well, I believe that this problem is finally being recognized, not only in Ukraine, you know, where there was a very huge impact and influence of Russian propaganda, but also in here in the, in the European Union, in the United States, we finally see all these outlets of Russian propaganda being closed one after another in uh, many European countries. And we finally recognize that this was a very strong factor, you know, that, that undermined our democracies from, from within. Uh, I don't know if Russia will continue uh, its efforts to influence the minds and hearts uh, of citizens of European uh, democracies of the United States, but we see how successful they are right now within Russia. You know, this 100% propaganda from all Russian state-controlled 
TVs which completely brainwashed their society, which now overwhelmingly supports the brutal, ruthless, crazy war that his, their leader had started. And we see the damage that propaganda can achieve and made for, for the future of these people. It will take centuries, maybe, to overdo the harm that had been caused to Russians primarily mm. by the propaganda that is being funded from their own pocket. Crazy, incredible, you know, but it will take time. It will take time. Very good point. Time. Peter, anything to add? Yeah. Disinformation has unfortunately become one of the most corrosive elements in the fabric of our societies and especially in democracy and with it elections. And there is a lot of work being done by international stakeholders and by Ukrainians to counter this. IFAS is part of that, and partners of ours, such as NDI and IRI and others, are involved in, in working against this disinformation. Um, I believe one of the most important um, weapons we have is education when we are combating this. It is to get a broader understanding for the nature of disinformation <coughs> and a more, critical, um, a more critical consumption of information. And I think in Ukraine, we've actually seen, seen that tendency that people have increasingly become aware of, that they need to look twice at anything uh, that they read. It's a very important part of the curriculum of our civic education course that we have in universities all over Ukraine is more critical reading, more critical consumption um, of media. I, I also think that it's something that we suffer from throughout the world. It's not a Ukrainian thing. Obviously, we focus on that because Russia has, both internally and towards Ukraine, spent immense resources on, on using it, weaponizing information, in fact. But the reality of it, it, it happens everywhere. And it isn't always by foreign entities. It also happens within. And you know, Ukraine has a great tradition of, of uh, significant com political competition. And there's also disinformation in that, same as there is in the United States. So I do think that the one key is certainly um, identification of disinformation and better education on consumption of information. And I think that is taking place. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Other questions? Or Kirtika, you have, yes, for online? Yes, I have an online question. So what international institutions can help Ukraine win the peace, such as the UN, OSCE, or the EU? International organizations can help Ukraine win the peace. Peter, you want to start there as, as, as heading up uh, well, with Tony? The answer is really all. All. Yeah. yeah. I think everyone must engage the best they can and make the contribution they can. The important part of that is coordination, is to make sure that we work well together as an international community and that the significant cohort of friends of uh, Ukraine um, continuously see to that we lift different tasks well and often together. IFAS is uh, the secretariat of uh, the International uh, Coordination Group for Democracy Governance Issues. And we continuously work with all of our partners, all embassies, all donors, all international organizations to ensure that we have the best coordinated support that we can offer Ukraine as we go forward. I don't necessarily think that it's a matter about choosing between, for example, the UN and OSCE. Both have a, a significant role. And we see uh, renewed efforts now in Ukraine. Uh, the UN has come back very strong. OSC has opened a new mission. And uh, IFAS has the honor of working together with all of these in direct support of the electoral and the democracy agenda. Is there a coordination mechanism among these various? Yeah. 
there, there is formal coordination mechanisms yeah. on all the different reform areas, but specifically on democracy and governance, including elections. There is a group chaired by the U.S. and Canada that continuously makes sure that the international friends of Ukraine are well coordinated and deliver the best possible assistance. Very good. I think Masha wanted to answer. Go. Yes, yes, Masha. Yeah, I just like to, to, I mean, I completely agree with Peter. I think it takes a village, um, in this case, a global village, uh, to help Ukraine um, build its future. Uh, coordination is key. And, you know, most importantly, coordination is key with the Ukrainians themselves. Because I think that sometimes we, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, we all have, we love Ukraine. We have done a very important job in terms of supporting Ukraine. But Ukraine and Ukrainians are the biggest agents um, in determining their own future. And I think we shouldn't take that agency away. Um, they are the ones who will determine what is going to happen next. You know, working uh, with the international community, but it's um, important that we not overestimate our own role and, and, and frankly, our own influence. It has to come from the Ukrainians themselves for it to be successful. Masha, excellent point, excellent point. So I can see the clock here. Um, uh, there may be other questions that uh, some of you in this room want to put to Peter and to Katya. Um, it'll be hard to, to pose them to Masha, but outside this, uh, this hall here, right outside, there will be Light refreshments, if you would like to have an opportunity to uh, talk to them. Um, let me, I will thank Peter and Katya in a second, but the importance of this conversation, it seems to me, is we've, we've, we've all said it. <coughs> Tony, you said it, at least said it. Um, um, Ukraine needs to win this war in order for all this to happen. Ukraine needs to win this war. And for that to happen, we need to continue to provide the support, like President Biden said, as long as it takes to victory. He, we should, he should add that, that second uh, phrase. Um, and, and unity will be required within Ukraine, and that's a challenge. Um, and unity required among its allies and friends and supporters um, uh, around the world. Um, and that's, that's, that's the challenge. Uh, and Masha points out um, that all of this has to happen now, starting now. Uh, the democratic, the winning the peace, um, uh, can't wait for the victory. The victory will come, um, but then is the hard part. Um, the decentralization that, that Peter talked about. So this is, this, uh, uh, as, as Masha said, an important conversation. Um, let me thank Peter, Katya, Masha for uh, your time. Uh, please join me in thanking these uh, panelists and join us outside uh, with the other time. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.